Today on Ag News Daily. Real crop farmers, they've all got the same qualities of hardworking and not knowing what they're going to make. They take a lot of risks every year and every time they put a seed in the ground or they they bring new cows onto the farm. So it's, it's something that, you know, I think I was able to transfer. Good afternoon and happy Friday to all of our Ag News Daily listeners out there. Delaney, I've got to say I'm happy it's the weekend. I feel like it's been a long week this week. Yeah, I agree, Ash, and I've had quite the Friday already. Well, Delaney, since this Friday is a little bit difficult for you, do you have any fun weekend plans to kind of make up for it? Hmm, I really can't say that I do, Ashton. I was hoping to go out and get some golf in, but it's not very nice weather here, so I'm thinking that might not happen. Yeah, it's a bit chilly here this weekend, too, so I don't think anything too fun will be going on in my part of the world, but I'm going bridesmaid dress shopping tomorrow, and I'm a little bit nervous. I don't think that it's going to go too well for me. (laughs) Well, that's exciting. Who's getting married? Well, I have quite a few weddings that are happening in the next year or so, but this one that I'm shopping for currently, it's one of my best friends from middle school. She's getting married in November. One of my older sisters got engaged recently, and so we're going to have to be looking for stuff for her because I'm the maid of honor, which I'm really nervous about. So it's just kind of a mess. And I have two other weddings this summer. I feel like it's just really wedding season. I'm at the age now to where everyone's getting married graduating, getting pregnant. And so it's just freaking me out, to be honest. Yeah. Congrats, Ashton. You've now hit that age and time where half your friends are probably still out partying and the other half are having children. Yeah. It's not a fun one to be a part of. (laughs) Yeah. Well, that's just part of growing up. I guess so. But switching gears here, Delaney, it was a Slow news day, to say the least. So why don't you go ahead and just kick us off with one of our few stories we have to share today. Yeah, it has been a little tied on news today, but I'll kick things off here with an interesting story coming out from the USDA. They've decided they've released a statement saying that they're going to be conducting a quote unquote deep dive review of how the department conducts their quarterly grain stocks reports during an official interview, or excuse me, during an official conference on Wednesday. So we just had on March 31st, the quarterly grain stock and prospective plantings reports. And they're saying that they're going to be looking into that. Uh, Lance Honig, who's the chief of that agency's crop branch, NAS, said, we're certainly, we certainly look at these programs each and every year, but this is a deeper dive that we will be doing this year. I am curious to know what has prompted this quote-unquote deep dive into the way that they conduct this study, because I think we've seen a lot of farmers, analysts, and brokers complain about these studies, these uh, WASDs, quarterly grain stocks, et cetera, for a long time. So I'm curious to know, this article doesn't note that, but I'm just wanting to read between the lines a little bit here and curious to know what's prompting this. Well, Delaney, I have a little bit of USDA news myself. Earlier today, U.S. Ag Secretary Vilsack voiced commitment to making USDA programs and U.S. agriculture more inclusive, which really isn't, you know, a shocker or any, you know, big breaking news because ever since Vilsack re-stepped into this role as Ag Secretary, he has talked about diversity and inclusion in the ag industry. 
And he was quoted as saying, we can do this as a single community, not as a divided community where we are pinning one against the other, but recognizing that every single farm, regardless of size, has a role and an opportunity in all this. We can create an understanding of unity here that I think our country is desperately in need of. A little bit of this inclusion talk and diversity talk, I feel like, has been a lot about race here lately, but from the looks of it, Vilsack is talking a little bit more about farm size, which is something that you kind of talked about yesterday, Delaney. And during a free-range conversation hosted by American Farmland Trust, Vilsack said that local markets need to be enhanced to help small and mid-sized farms. Vilsack expects Deputy Secretary of Agriculture nominee Jewel Brano, when confirmed, will play a large role in ensuring equity to disadvantaged farmers, including recreating a women in agriculture group. Under an executive order by President Biden, USDA now has an equity commission of outside experts to review different USDA programs, as well as an internal working group to ensure programs are applied fairly. So sounds like we're starting to see a little bit more about what this commitment to diversity is really going to be about and finally having some of our questions answered. I think there's still a little bit of murky water, but hopefully we'll actually get to see this story bubble over here in the near future. Absolutely, Ash. I'm glad you're keeping an eye on that. Uh, I'm going to take our attention here to China because as we continue to look at the potential effects from COVID-19, I think inflation and the cost of doing business, the cost of materials is going to be a story that sticks around for a while. I was just thinking about this, talking about this yesterday, Ashton, but I'm thinking it might be a good opportunity here for us to talk a little bit more about inflation and doing a deeper dive. So we'll have to look at setting up an interview to do that. But in the meantime, as you look at the cost of goods, you know, especially in the housing and commercial real estate industry, we were just talking about it yesterday here in Des Moines and the cost of the materials necessary to do renovations on houses or office spaces, et cetera, has gone up pretty drastically, even though China has put out a story here that their steel production actually accelerated in March to the second highest ever monthly total, defying the government's attempt to rein in the total output that they've been putting out. So last year, we saw the industry back in December promised to try and rein back in their uh, steel and aluminum production, largely due to climate change and emissions that they've continued to put out. But we saw quarter one here tally a total of 271 million tons of steel, suggesting that their annual outlook or output, excuse me, could be greater than a billion pounds, a billion tons, excuse me, of uh, steel total. This is a little surprising to me. And I guess you have to take it with a grain of salt because, of course, some of the steel and aluminum that China does put out is not the super high quality steel that you need to do a lot of uh, especially uh, industrial work with. But as you look at the cost of lumber, that's skyrocketed here. Obviously, the cost of steel and aluminum and other materials has also been skyrocketing. And I think that all is going to add into this story here, Ash, and we're going to have to work on a little bit longer term of looking at is inflation going on? What's that going to do for the economy? And what, more specifically, what's that going to do for agriculture here moving forward? 
that's a lot to to take down today on a Friday, Ashton. It is, but I definitely think it's a necessary topic to look into. I mean, Dawson, who we mentioned on the podcast and kind of introduced earlier this week, has been talking about food inflation, and I've actually taken uh, a little bit of interest into that. And that's going to be one of my research projects for the end of this semester is talking about food inflation and the local food movement and how that's had an effect because of COVID-19. So I think all of those things definitely play a, a key role in the economy and how you know it's going to kind of move forward from there. But I just have one more piece of news to share with you today, Delaney. And it is concerning some bills that are being introduced um, right now. Um, Republicans with the House Agriculture and Natural Resources Committee have introduced what they're calling innovative and science-based alternatives to the Growing Climate Solutions Act. House Ag Ranking Member Glenn G.T. Thompson discussed the bills during a press call earlier this morning. And Thompson was quoted as saying, there are a number of agricultural bills being rolled out today that incentive healthy soils, precision agriculture technology, healthy forest, and more public-private partnerships to fund, build upon, and advance proven climate smart practices. All these bills have one thing in common. They are designed to reduce our carbon footprint while increasing the productivity and the economic competitiveness of our farms and rural communities. We cannot sacrifice a healthy economy for a healthy environment and vice versa. Now, I won't go into all of these acts because there are quite a few that were discussed during this press call, but just to name a few, the Sustains Act, the No Emits Act, Fire Act, Restore Act are all topics of discussion, all bills that are kind of being introduced right now. And these bills, kind of just to reiterate what Thompson was saying, range from addressing topics like sustainability to greenhouse gas emissions and reducing those emissions to forestry and more. So folks, if you're interested in any of these, I highly suggest looking into them. Like I said, there were quite a few, so I didn't want to take too much of a deep dive, especially since it's Friday. Didn't want to kind of overwhelm folks here before the weekend, but maybe this is something we can look into a little bit further next week and maybe even have a little bit more information next week on these as well. Fantastic, Ashton. I'll, uh, I'll task you with having more information on that one. Alrighty. Well, I'll go ahead and put that on my to-do list for next week though, Delaney. Yeah, absolutely. Well, I think the only other thing on our task list today, Ashton, before we get to today's interview, which is of course our AgRad 30 Under 30 segment is to talk markets. What do you say? Let's do it. All right. Well, we saw some fresh moves made in the soybean markets, not so much in the corn and wheat markets. Kicking things off here in the May corn contract down four and a half cents today to close at 585 and a half. The December unchanged today to close at 512 and a quarter. Soybeans, May contract adding 15 cents to close at 433 and a quarter. And the November contract adding 5 cents to close at 12.74 even. Chicago wheat today a little lower as the May contract shed a penny and a quarter to close at five, excuse me, 652 and a half. The July down half a cent to close at 655 even. And in livestock today, weakness all across the protein markets as the June live cattle contract shed 47 and a half cents to close at 119.17 and a half. The August down 55 cents to close 
Charlotte 119.15. In feeder cattle, the May contract shedding 70 cents to close at 143.72 and a half. The August down a dollar 05 to close at 154.55. And in lean hogs, as I mentioned, the weakness continued here into this protein market as the May contract shed a dollar 10 to close at 102.47 and a half. The June down three cents to close, excuse me, three dollars to close at 101.70. And wrapping out our markets with the class three dairy milk futures, they had strength today as the May contract added 46 cents to close at 18.96. The June up 54 cents circles at 1912. Ashton, without further ado, let's kick it over to our conversation for today's AgRad 30 Under 30 conversation. For today's 30 Under 30 conversation, we are talking to Peter Bachman, who is the Vice President of International Trade Policy for the USA Rice Federation. Peter, thank you so much for coming on and chatting with us today. Thanks, Ashton. I'm glad to be here. So, Peter, before we get talking about your current position with the Rice Federation, I want to talk a little bit about your background, because originally in the 30 Under 30 magazine article, you talk about how you wanted to be a large animal veterinarian, but now you're working out in Washington, D.C. So those two paths, they don't really go hand in hand. So can you kind of tell us a little bit more about how you got to where you are today? That's right. Yeah, I I grew up in the 4-H program in Maryland and have been around agriculture my entire life. Uh, I I show livestock uh, in 4-H and and really wanted to be a large animal vet. I I didn't think there was another career path for me. And you know, shortly after getting to college, my freshman year in, at Iowa State, I decided that you know it was not the right path for me. But I did want to stay animal focused or animal science based uh, and I, I did a first year at at Iowa State before I transferred over to Virginia Tech, which was a lot closer to my home. And uh, I, I studied dairy science there. And so I stayed in the animal science realm of uh, study. But ultimately, you know, once I got to the end of college and was looking for jobs, I wanted to stay closer to home, be able to work in agriculture. But at the end of the day, I, I didn't need to be something animal focused, but I was still able to work for farmers while being close to a pretty large metropolitan area. And and so that's how I ended up, you know, taking internships and getting a job in Washington, D.C. to kind of kick off my policy career. So, Peter, I think it's really interesting that you have a pretty heavy background in animal agriculture, but now you're working for the Rice Federation so how have you taken your knowledge of agriculture and applied it to this kind of different sector of the industry? I think no matter what type of farmers you're working with, a lot of the, the same characters for, you know, whether it's a row crop farmer or a livestock farmer uh, or specialty crop farmer, they have a lot of the same characteristics. So it's really about understanding who you're working for and represent. And if you know how to work with livestock farmers, you're probably going to be able to work with row crop farmers. They've all got the same qualities of hardworking and not knowing what they're going to make. They take a lot of risks every year and every time they put a seed in the ground or they they bring new cows onto the farm. So it's it's something that, you know, I think I was able to transfer those skills to my job and still be able to work effectively for farmers and be able to communicate with USDA. And so uh, I think 
you know, I, when I worked for USDA previously, I was able to bring a lot of my ag background with me. And a lot of the folks that were there at the time in the, the early days of, of the last administration were were not ag-based or have ag backgrounds. And so, you know, it, it was integral to be able to bring that to the table and, and be someone in Washington, D.C. that got there from the ag uh, journey rather than going through, uh, you know, a policy or um, a political science background in Washington. So that's where I found value. And, and I truly believe that, you know, all farmers are, are cut from the same stone. So Peter, I kind of want to get just a little bit of insight as to what it's been like being in Washington, D.C. over the past year or so, because you saw firsthand the transition of the Trump administration to the Biden administration. And I think taking a deeper look into, you know, that transition and the differences between these administrations is pretty interesting. So can you just give us a little bit of food for thought? Sure. I think a lot of the folks that work at USDA or that work in ag in, in Washington, D.C. say the same. You know, the, there's there's one pretty finite group of people and people come in and out. It's a somewhat transient city where people come in for a few years and then they move back out to the Midwest or down south or somewhere else. Uh, and then they may end up back in Washington again later on in their careers. But I think that the, the people tend to stay relatively the same. And so even when, even though, you know, there's political changes, a lot of the folks that worked for the, the Vilsack administration the first time uh, came back around or, or played a part in, in this new Biden transition uh, back to Secretary Vilsack. And so, you know, we've been able to reconnect with a lot of our old contacts and, and be able to stay in touch that way. And, you know, they're still building out their team. So we're watching that unfold right now uh, at USDA. But the career folks that work at USDA or USTR or any of those other agencies stay no matter what and no matter what administration is there. And so, you know, they're kind of the sense of stability for all of us to be able to continue reaching out to during those transitions when there's not political staff to, to make contact with. So it has been interesting during a virtual uh, period where, where, you know, normally we would be taking a lot of meetings with Congress or with uh, folks at the agencies. But right now, you know, there's a lot of Zoom meetings. It's, in some ways, it's more productive because we're able to get it more done without scheduling around in-person meetings and transit time and other things. But it is definitely uh, different than we're used to in the past. So, Peter, we've talked a little bit about what your life has been like in D.C., but we really haven't talked too much about what it is you're really doing as the vice president of international trade policy. So can you just take us into a little bit of a further look at your day to day? Sure. So I, I actually work for USA Rice Federation, which represents uh, all of the rice growing states the rice growing farmers, the millers, the merchants, and all of the other businesses that are related to uh, the production and sale and export of rice. And so I worked for them for two and a half years before I went to USDA for a stint. And uh, during that time, I worked on government affairs and farm programs, and I was more of a junior lobbyist type of role. And this time around, when I came back after I left USDA, uh, I came back into a more senior role working on trade policy. And so 
a lot of other countries that we export rice to or that are big rice exporters uh, like India and China and Thailand, they all have a series of subsidy programs or high tariffs or other things that are essentially barriers to our rice getting into their country or that make their rice unfairly competitive against our rice. And so my job is to help break down those barriers, address unfair trade behavior at the WTO. I work closely with uh, the U.S. Trade Representative's Office, USTR, as well as the Foreign Agricultural Service at USDA. And so there's a lot of uh, regular communication going on to make sure that we're addressing problems as we see them. But a lot of them are multi-year or decade, in some cases, uh, problems that take forever to address because those countries don't want to budge. Rice is a very sensitive commodity in a lot of countries, uh, especially in Asia, but also in South America and other places where we do market rice. And it's kind of like corn in the U.S., where where you know we we're the dominant ones out there on the market, but. When it comes to rice, you know, we're not the most dominant, but we're up there in the pack with uh, being fairly dominant. It's a pretty little known. So what we're doing is trying to do everything in our power to sell more rice or export more rice and open up those barriers so that uh, our our exporters can be competitive on the, the world market. Well, Peter, if there's just one piece of advice that you could give, you know, students who are listening to this who might be kind of struggling to find themselves when they're approaching graduation, since your situation is a little bit different than the typical one, I suppose, what kind of advice would you give them as they're searching for a a job or, you know, the next stop in their career path? I would say just go into it with uh, an open mind and be willing to take something that may be a little bit outside of your comfort zone as your first job, your entry-level job, it's not going to make or break you. It's not going to define your career. I can I can really attest to that. And, and just really make sure that you try out everything that you can while you can, whether that's an internship or an entry-level job. I think we're in a different generation now from our parents and grandparents where we don't have to stay in the same job for 30 or 40 years, our entire career. We're, we're allowed to, and it's acceptable to, uh, take a job for a year or two. And if it's not a great fit or there's room for advancement somewhere else, then you, you take those opportunities as they come uh, and just be careful not to burn bridges as you go. But I think it's really important to to try out different sectors of the industry, if that's what you want to do, or even try out something you don't want to do to make sure you really don't want to do it and, and be open-minded. And I think everything will work out. Well, Peter, I just want to thank you once more for coming on and talking to us today. It's certainly been a joy. Thank you. And uh, I appreciate you reaching out and uh, have a good weekend. Thanks again there to Peter Bachman for coming on and talking to us today. I think it's really interesting. You know, he was involved in agriculture, but it was in animal agriculture. And now he's working for the USA Rice Federation. So I think it's kind of funny how some folks roles kind of play out once they actually get into the workforce. Yep, absolutely. You know, you got to pivot where uh, the job market takes you or where your passions take you. I guess I'm going to have to take note of that as 
here in about a year, I'll be graduating myself and finding myself in the workforce, but I have some time before then. So I'm not going to rush into anything too quickly, but folks, I want you guys to rush over to Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram and make sure to follow Ag News Daily if you're not already and go ahead and subscribe wherever you listen to the Ag News Daily podcast and give us a good thumbs up. But with that, Delaney, should we let the people go? Let's let them go.